This is Nursing Uncensored. Your host, Adrienne Benning, invites you to listen in on real conversations about all things in the nursing world. This podcast is intended for nurses, nursing students, and allied health professionals, but non-medical folk will probably get a kick out of us too. If you like what you hear, subscribe and share. Welcome to Nursing Uncensored. I am your host, Adrienne, and I am back again today with um, Craig of Keep It Real RN. Hi, Craig. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You're back again. We've got things to talk about. Yes, we do. Well, well this is the follow-up to the uh, to the first poop episode, episode yes. where we talked about uh, our, our poop nightmares, but this is the follow-up where we talk about actual techniques on how to deal with it. <laughs> As promised, we are back with some tips and tricks that, um, that you only pick up after kind of doing it for a while. Some of these things are, um, what do they say, ne- uh, necessity is the mother of invention. So some of these tips and tricks we've kind of figured out on our own, and some of these have been passed on to us by the many wonderful nurses and patient care techs that we've worked with over the years. So um, we're going to kind of try to chop this into some because there's a lot to cover here. So we're it's not going to be a comprehensive guide to every situation, but we are here to help you out for those those uh, those poops wherein you have to stop for a second, use your nursing process to assess how the hell you're going to approach this, and then leave your patient um, clean and safe and hopefully not too terribly uncomfortable from the process of cleaning them up. So um, we're going to kind of break this down into a few different categories. Um, Craig, what did we say? We've got some technique tips, talking about some products and supplies, and then maybe some final steps, kind of how to how to take care of things after you're all done cleaning the patient. Okay, so when we attack this situation, the first thing that you do, like you were saying, you use your nursing judgment and you assess the situation. I mean, there are various elements to the situation. You have the quantity of stool to be dealt with, the quality of the stool, and the magnitude, meaning the magnitude. Is it just on the chucks? Is it all over the patient? Is it all over the bottom sheet and the and the top sheet and everything? Is it gonna require a total bed change or, or a partial? So this is gonna di- dictate the techniques that you use, the products that you use. And we there are some things that we use that I'm going to share with you that just kind of give it that final sheen, as it were. Yeah, because you, you want to leave your patient with a sparkling, clean booty when, when all is said and done. You want to protect their skin, their dignity, um, and, you know, th- make sure that they're as clean as you would want to be. I think that's the golden rule. I think most nurses agree we all want a clean booty. So I think that the golden rule applies here. You've got to treat other people the way you want to be treated, um, and that includes peri care. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, let's first let's first talk about what you do when you walk into a room. Let's go through the Bristol school stool scale here, okay? I, I'm completely unfamiliar with the Bristol school stool scale. All right, so the the Bristol stool scale, for those of you that don't know, is kind of a way that we classify how solid your poop is okay I remember the day in nursing school and I actually took some sneak photos because I couldn't resist they actually gave us a PowerPoint presentation a pooper point if you will wherein they kind of showed us photos of different types of stool so the Bristol stool scale is a way to kind of quantify very easily what so you know if I if I'm giving a report I say I think it and I'm doing this from memory, so I don't have it perfect because I've got epic, so I usually have a little chart in front of me. But I think it's uh, on a scale of one to seven. One is hard little rabbit turds, and seven is completely liquid with no solid. And then there are various steps in between. So like a four is like a perfectly formed stool, smooth like a snake, but solid. Like I think that's what it actually says in Epic, like smooth like a, like a, like a sausage. That's what it says, smooth like a sausage. And, and so basically <laughs> the Bristol stool scale is a way to kind of quantify the quality so it's putting a, a numeric scale because god knows nurses have to use a numeric scale for everything oh um, epic loves numeric scales numeric scales but you know it also it does help because if my my perception my the way i describe something to you might not come across whereas if i'm giving a report i can say they you know they had a completely liquid stool or i can say you know they had they had a seven um however you want to communicate that whatever the language of your unit is um but usually that's how we qualify so if you've got somebody that has like a normal poop and they just happen to be incontinent you might be able to get away with like just a chucks you know change out the chucks um you know use maybe uh you know a couple wet wipes to make sure they're clean but it's no big deal and it's pretty easy all the way down the spectrum we have a situation where you walk in and you realize that your patient has had a completely liquid stool of a huge magnitude like they haven't had a bowel movement or whatever for days and suddenly the floodgates of hell have opened up and it's from ankles to elbows they've gotten their fingers in it it i've actually had a patient who once had it on their face like i mean it's like you leave you leave them alone for a few minutes they've pooped and suddenly you know if they're confused or for whatever reason they're not of their right mind and then you're like oh shit i need Peri care stuff, a full bed change, someone to help me, washcloth, you know, you need a different set of skills for that kind. So that's why I wanted to kind of talk about the, the different levels of poop that we have here. So Craig, what are some of the things that you're looking for when you go in and you, you want to assess what you need? Well, the one thing that you look at is what surfaces are covered with stool? Is it just the patient and the chucks? Is it the patient, the chucks, the sheet? Is it the patient, the top sheet, the bottom sheet, the whole nine yards, the SCDs, everything? It's going to dictate what you're going to need. It's also the other thing you have to look at is what is the size of the patient, too, and can they help? So mm -hmm. that's going to dictate whether you're going to need to get some recruits. 
And that could be a whole nother topic in and of itself, <laughs> it's recruiting people to help you with that because nobody likes to clean up poop and nobody really likes to help somebody else clean up poop. But it's one of those things that it always brings you good karma if you help somebody in their hour of need because then you have somebody that you can call upon in your hour of need that will come up one day. You've got to have that buddy on shift, that person that you know is going to step up in your hour of need when you have like a colossal poop to clean up. So I know that there are certain people that if I go to them and I ask them very nicely and I maybe even offer to buy them a candy bar or some cheese balls from the cafeteria, then maybe they'll help me. Usually, usually I'm prepared enough, though, that people have learned you know, that I'm I'm someone that you can clean poop with and not end up in a complete disaster situation. Because sometimes you end up in too deep and you realize that you don't have enough supplies for what you're there to do. And it's really hard to stop midway, especially if your patient, you know, isn't able to like lay on their side for very long or, you know, you don't have somebody to run get stuff. It, it's all very complicated. So you really do want to start out with everything you need. So like if it's the whole bed, you go get all the linens, replacement, because you, you don't want to be in and out, in and out, in and out, because then you're also risking contaminating stuff by changing out your gloves a hundred times and leaving the room. You want to get it all first go, you know? So um, that's why, you know, the magnitude is going to determine what you get. Okay. So when you're recruiting somebody to help you clean up a colossal mess, one thing that's really appreciated that I actually appreciate is that when you ask me to come and help you, you know, my, my time is valuable just like yours is. So you're, you know, when I come and help you, I'm taking time away from my patient load. So one thing I really appreciate is that you're ready to go when I come at meaning you have your supplies ready, you have your wash basin and your water and your washcloths and that you've cleaned up as much as you possibly can on your own. I meaning that, you know, you, there's no reason you can't, you know, clean up the top of the patient and do all of the top work prior to the arrival of, of your assistant. So mm -hmm. what I like to do is like when I'm recruiting somebody to help me, I try to get as much as I possibly can done. That does not require the other person helping to turn the patient. So once that person comes to help me turn the patient, that's the, that's all that needs to be finished. You turn them, you do the backside, you do the linen change and they're out the door and I'll make it pretty after that. I don't require that the person stay any longer than they absolutely need to. Right. Right. Like once you've got the patient kind of back on clean linens, you do the pillow tucking, you get them their call light and set their table up and all of that. Yeah. Like just, just take your help for just the part that you actually need physical help with. That's super important, especially if you have patients that are pooping frequently and this becomes a situation where you're like recruiting multiple people multiple times over the course of a shift. Just make sure you've got everything you need. And you know, that we also want to make sure, you know, for the purpose of not wasting, we don't just want to take like a million supplies into a patient room. So really, you've got to judge. Is this patient stooling frequently? Should I have like a little supply of things on the table? Um, you know, do I do I need 
maybe you don't need to bring in some extra chucks, but I know if I have someone that like has diarrhea and they're incontinent and they're bed bound, I'm going to maybe take in a few extra chucks when I go. Cause you never know, you never know how serious things are going to get, <laughs> you know? So yeah, be prepared, have everything ready to go. I think a lot of supplies are pretty universally found in most hospitals. Um, you know, you've got for really big messes, you've got your soap and water basin, shit ton of washcloths, just get a stack of washcloths sometimes. Um, you've, you said you've seen in hospitals, we had this ages ago, but you've seen, um, the, the spray bottles. There's some etiquette I think that needs to be followed. If you have a, a if you work in a hospital that has bottles of pericare spray, do you have thoughts on this, Craig? Yes, I, you know, at my hospital, we still have that stuff. And again, it has its place. I mean, I could see it being used in the final sheen, but I see it being used, especially by the inexperienced people, as the primary, I guess, the primary weapon for combating this uh, problem. And my experience with it is you spray that stuff on and you wipe it and the rag just continues to come out dirty and it doesn't get anybody clean. And eventually the person using it just gives up after a while and it just doesn't get, it just doesn't work. There is no substitute for good old fashioned soap and water. Absolutely. And you know, your patient's going to appreciate the time to get them actually clean because, as we all know, leaving that stuff on the skin is like acid. Like, that will get somebody, it'll start with like a, a reddened, like dermatitis, like incontinence dermatitis, but then it can actually get to a point where that patient's ass is raw. And anytime you touch them, they like shoot through the roof in pain. So, it, we're looking at the long, you know, the long game here. What's going to keep your patient clean and keep their skin in the best shape? So, Make sure you know what you have available to you and, you know, where it is, especially if you're the new kid on the unit. Uh, make sure you know where the washcloths are and the soap. And really, you know, there are some tricks of the trade that vary depending on what you've got access to. Um, you know, I've seen folks that if they really have a huge stool to clean up and it's like all over their legs and their bottom and there's odor and it's hard to get their skin clean. I've even seen some folks put a little bit of like mouthwash um, in in the bath water, um, just like a little bit of, I don't know, whatever we've got, Listerine or whatever brand you've got in the, those little bottles. But sometimes that can like help cut through the odor and get them a little extra clean. But you have to be careful with that because you don't want to put something like that, you know, like menthol mouthwash on somebody's, you know, broken down skin. So um, w what are some other techniques that you've seen used? The first thing that you have to take into account when you're deciding what technique you're going to use is the magnitude of the situation. And it's like, how much stool are you really dealing with? Because the very first order of operations is always to debulk. You have to get down to the surface. And so if you have pasty poop, you have to use one technique to debulk it. If you have liquid poop, you have to use another, te another technique to uh, debulk it. And so that's the first order of operations. You have to debulk. So what are some of the uh, techniques that you have uh, 
used for debulking. Oh, okay. So it's going to start, well, let's start at one end of the Bristol stool scale. Say you have like a lot of hard kind of, I don't, there's no other way to say it, little rabbit turds. You can honestly just take like a disposable wipe, pick that up, throw it in the trash, you know, roll it up in the chucks. But here's the thing. If you're using a cloth chucks and this is going to go into a hamper, which is going to go to a laundry room where another human has to handle it, don't just roll it all up in the chucks. Like whatever you can get into the trash, get into the trash. Okay. So whether that means using dry wipes to literally pick up turds and throw them away or kind of like removing that, you know, I, I've been known there have been times where like I've had enough liquid stool. It's not enough to set up suction in the whole nine yards like we talked about in the last episode where we basically wet dry vac that shit out. Um, but sometimes I've, you know, used a graduate like a little plastic measuring cup to kind of bail <laughs> poop out of the bed. So it just depends on how big it is. And if it's if it's a small liquid stool, um, I'll oftentimes just maybe use a graduate to scoop some of it up, get it into the trash throw that graduate away as well um, and then use dry wipes for the initial debulking and then finish up with either soap and water or we have really good peri wipes um, that you know we use to kind of finish up and they have like a skin protectant in them as well it kind of has a little bit of a lotiony texture to it um, but I've been known to do all of the above so um I only use soap and water if it's like it's everywhere, hands, legs, butt, back, peri area. Like sometimes you end up with a situation where it's kind of everywhere. That's when I'll cut to the soap and water um, and, you know, whatever, whatever other uh, dry towels, you know, all that that kind of goes along with basically a bath. Basically, you're giving them a bath if they've pooped that much. Um if it's, if it's a smaller amount of liquid stool, what I'll do, so one of the things that I wanted to touch base on is laying down a fresh surface, okay? So this could mean a few things. When you have them rolled onto their side, you wipe up their backside, and then I take the chucks, if it's a disposable chucks, I fold it in half and kind of tuck it underneath them so that what I've essentially done is I folded all the mess up into the chucks so that now nothing can get to it. It's pretty well contained, so I don't have to worry about dragging my arm through it or whatever. Um, so that's the first thing. I've also sometimes taken like the, the dry paper, we call them fluffs because they're kind of fluffy and soft, but they're the dry wipes that we we have <clears throat> they're not absorbent in any way but sometimes I will like take two or three of them lay them down over the liquid stool so that say for example the patient needs to lay back again because they need you know they I work on a respiratory floor so if people aren't breathing well we might have to let them lay back again well if I've just spent a few minutes cleaning them up I don't want to lay them back into the poop that I just cleaned off of them so if I know I need to lay them back for a minute before I continue I actually will go ahead and like I said just lay down some dry wipes create a new clean surface so that when they do lay back you're not recontaminating so those are some techniques that I use. I don't know if this is going to translate well in a, an explanation. I wish I could show people. But really, you want to make sure that once you've cleaned up the poop, it stays cleaned up. <laughs> right, because the last thing that you want is for your new clean linen 
that you're going to be placing under this patient. You do not want to contaminate it. That's why I don't fold up the dirty chucks until the butt is clean. So I, I do the butt clean first as much as I can, um, you know, and then sometimes there's some on so far over on their cheek that you have to like wait till you roll them to the other side to clean it. But I try to get as much off of their skin as I can. And then I fold up the dirty stuff and roll it up when I'm ready, you know, ready to tuck in the new stuff. Because here's the thing. If you've got somebody that is incontinent and they're, they keep stooling well you don't want to like lay down a dirt or lay down all of your clean sheets and then while you're cleaning them up they stool again and now you've just contaminated your clean sheets and you have to basically start over again um, so I like to keep the dirty chucks ready to accept new donations until I am ready to put down the clean sheets and roll them over to the other side. So that's that's the first thing is make sure that you're not exposing your new clean surface too soon. I, I, I think that sometimes that's the hardest part. Once you kind of contain the mess, then the cleanup is easy because we all know how to wipe a butt. Like we wipe our own butts all the time. So that's not the hard part. Um, but you, you do, like you said earlier, you have to take into account their gender as well, correct? When it comes to men, you have one additional problem, especially when you have a man who has had liquid stool, and that their junk is usually swimming in said liquid stool. You need to you need to assist Mr. Johnson up into some dry land in order in order to clean him because otherwise if he's sitting in this liquid stool, it is just a losing situation. It's bad for everybody. I work with a lot of young female nurses, and so this can become an uncomfortable situation very quickly, especially if your patient is like alert and oriented and yet still incontinent. So we all know that it can be hard, but really, as your patient's best advocate, you want to make sure that you clean everywhere, including under the scrotum. Make sure that that area is especially clean because think about how bad that would hurt to have raw, you know, raw balls. Nobody wants raw balls. This is this is the best thing that we can do for our patients is protect that most delicate of areas. So um, you want to be gentle, of course, with a- any type of genital. You know, if you have scrotum, you got to get in there. If, you, if you're dealing with a patient who has a vagina, then you need to make sure that there's nothing up in there. And it can be really difficult as a new nurse or as a nurse who's not used to cleaning people up to get into that area and really clean. And so I, you know, I say to patients, I'm sorry, this is going to get up close and personal, but I just want to make sure you're really clean. Very few patients are going to stop you from cleaning them. As embarrassing as it is and as uncomfortable as it is for everybody, patients want to be clean. Okay, unless unless they're really confused, in which case it is your responsibility to make sure that they are not making bad decisions for themselves and that you actually are taking that time to get them really clean, even if they maybe don't want you to. But um, you got to you got to get into every fold, nook, cranny. Really, you you want to make sure there's no area that's unclean. So. Yeah, sometimes you just got to be indelicate about it. You just got to say, I got I got to do this. Right. When it comes to cleaning up Mr. Johnson, the one simple thing that you can do is you lift it up 
and you stick a chucks underneath it. And then that way, when you put it back down, it's not going back into the stool and you, and you clean and you clean and you clean and you may even have to change that chucks or actually put another one on top of it, you know, until you get down to the nitty gritty. Mm -hmm. And, and I know that, um, if it's if it's a if it's a poop that's kind of pasty or is difficult to remove from the skin our tendency can be that we want to take that washcloth and we want to scrub it off we want to scrub it off but that also can be really bad for people's skin especially if they've had incontinence issues for a while and they have like raw or open skin so you want to be, be mindful of what you're using and the force that you're using you know, I've seen nurses clean patients up and they don't warn the patient that they're about to touch them. And, you know, they jump. There's that right. like when somebody somebody touches you in places you're not used to being touched by strangers, right. you got to give warning. So I know that I worked in a, gyne a feminist based gynecology clinic for a long time. And before we would like go right in and, you know, touch the genitals we would maybe touch with the back of our hand on the inside of the thigh. Kind of like a warning, okay? So I'm not saying you need to, like, go through all these different techniques, but you just warn your patient that you're about to touch them. Make sure that you're using the amount of force necessary to get them clean, but not just being merciless and scrubbing, because that can hurt, you know? You, you right, wanna... especially, you know, especially if things are already red and irritated. Yeah, and so, you know, speaking to, you know, getting getting the Johnson up out of the out of the mess, um, I've even had patients where, um, you know, if, if, it, if the fella has been stooling a lot and, you know, you don't want their scrotum just sitting in stool, so I've even taken a pillowcase and I folded it long ways and used it like a hammock, okay? So it goes over the top of the thighs, scoops under the scrotum to kind of lift it up, and then over the edge of the other, over the top of the other leg, so that what you're essentially doing is creating a hammock. So well, that's a fantastic idea. I never even thought of that. Yeah, so that's something that I've seen done, and I've you know I've done it for certain patients. It's it's difficult if you have a patient that's really squirmy and is moving around a lot. It doesn't really stay in place. But if it's somebody who is mostly you know able to to kind of chill and not, you know, move all over the bed, then this works really well. Um, right. It kind of like, it kind of creates a little bit of a bridge for Mr. It does. It does. He can look into the river and not be swimming in the river. Exactly. And this also is really good if you have patients that have like scrotal edema, because right. then you can kind of prop those puppies up and help, you know, kind of promote the the drainage of that that swelling so um yeah the and and so that's one of those things that on my unit if i say like hey let's do a can or not a canopy if let's do a hammock they know my my nursing assistant or nurse that's helping me knows to grab a pillowcase and um and then you just you know it you still have to replace the pillowcase you still may have to do some cleaning but at least you're not having the 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 in the magnitude of cleaning um most guys appreciate that so um i know that that's that's a great that's a great pro tip i hope that um others will use that because it can really save a, a person's skin um well that's certainly one that i'm probably going to use yeah yeah um another uh technique that i use especially if it's someone that is stooling a lot or 
it, they're hard to move, whether they be very large or they have wounds or broken bones. But I like to pre-make bedrolls. And you have told me before that you, you know, you've you've not seen that technique used very often, but that you've you have seen it done, right? A bedroll. Right. Yeah, just not in my current facility. I don't even like I I don't even think that uh, the majority of nurses who have never worked anywhere would even know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. So I learned this while working on the burn unit at my facility. So on the burn unit, you know, we have patients that have very extensive burns or a level one trauma center. And so sometimes you have patients that can only tolerate being moved for short periods of time. You know, they're they're very um, goopy from all of the dressings and the slurries, which, you know, the creams and the lotions and whatnot to keep their skin moist. Um, and so when we're turning them, we want to be quick. We want to be like, get them on their side, tuck the sheets in, get out of there. So usually what most people do is they'll take like a sheet and then they'll tuck, you know, they'll put the corners on, tuck it in underneath them and then take a chucks or a, a you know, a, a pull sheet or a draw sheet, whatever you call it in your facility. And then... <clears throat> Excuse me. And then you put down a chucks. You know, you've got all these layers. And so sometimes when you're laying these down one layer at a time and trying to line everything up, it takes time. And that might be making your patient uncomfortable. If they're large, it means that your your whoever's helping you has to hold that help hold that weight for a longer period of time. So what I do is we have a cot that we keep in the back hall of my unit, up on the burn unit. They have a huge countertop that doesn't have anything on it. I find a surface that's, you know, the size of a bed so that what I'm rolling up isn't going to fall on the floor or drape on the ground. But I'll lay it out on the cart and I'll lay out all my layers. So I'll lay down the sheet. Well, not the fitted sheet, but if I'm using a flat sheet, then the draw sheet, then the chucks. Sometimes there's like a lift sheet if we're using like special ergonomic equipment with that patient because we have some that we have slings that we can dedicate to a patient and kind of leave it under them so every time we want to boost or turn we can use. So anyway, there can be a lot of layers. Uh, uh, sometimes we have slip sheets that we can use for ergonomic purposes. I get that all in place thinking about, okay, I always start from their hips. Where are their hips going to be? And I line everything up according to where I want it to fall on the bed. Take some practice to get used to lining it all up, but you know, you learn through trial and error. Start the chucks kind of low, start everything kind of low, but then you roll everything up and I roll it up really tight like a scroll. So I roll it up going towards me halfway and then I take, you know, the sheet closest to me and I roll it up away from me halfway. And then I fold it in half, making sure I know which end goes at the head of the bed. And that way, because I've rolled it up like a scroll, I can, when the patient's on their side, regardless of what side of the bed I'm on, I can tuck in one half of the rolled sheet and then unroll the rest to lay on the bed. So it essentially takes all of the time that you would use to lay things down and line them up and tuck them under, and it just makes it one smooth motion. You move the patient, you clean them up, you tuck the sheet, you roll them back towards you. It saves so much time, and it's especially great if you have patients that are like hemodynamically unstable, they have respiratory issues and they can't lay flat for very long, or like I said, injuries, burns, wounds, whatever. That is my like, that's my crowning glory. That's my number one tip that I could give people. It saves so much time and effort. 
it's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I've used that technique before. I, I worked in a uh, trauma unit way back in the day. And like you said, those patients too are people that wouldn't tolerate being turned for very long. So you better have things ready to go. And, and we used to do the, the bedroll thing and that just saves a ton of time and it saves a lot of misery for the patient too. And, and it's so easy, you know, to just, I, if I have downtime, I work nights. So, you know, sometimes I have a bit more downtime than during the day, but I, if I know that the patient eventually is going to stool again, I just go ahead and I make that bedroll. Um, you know, if I have a free minute, um, and pretty much every time someone sees me do it, they go, oh my God, that's such a good idea. And so I just, I want to spread that one around. So tell your friends, everybody, because that can really make a difference in the quality of the care that you're providing for your patient, you know, making it, making it easier on them and on you. Um, and especially when we have very large bariatric patients, this is great because Every second that you're expecting your coworkers or yourself to hold extra weight of that magnitude, you know, to help that person lay on their side so that you can clean them up, you're risking injury. And so it's better to just be in and out as quickly as possible while still being safe. So that's pretty much my favorite one. Another um, tip that I, I try to tell everybody to do, and it all depends um, you know, I want everybody to know that all these tips and tricks, you still have to follow your hospital policy. So if anything that I'm telling you is against your hospital or facilities policy, that's on you. Don't do it. Know your policies. But something that I do is we have gloves that are, we have good, good gloves. They're pretty thick. They can withstand a lot of friction. And so if I'm cleaning somebody up and I know it's going to be kind of a mess, I will sometimes triple glove. So I will put on three layers of gloves so that um, when I clean them up, so say I start to clean them up, well, sometimes in those initial initial minutes of cleaning up somebody's poop, you get it on your gloves. Like, it's inevitable. But what you don't want is then to get it on everything you touch. You know, you don't want to get it all over clean things or recontaminate areas you've already cleaned. So I'll usually pull off that first layer once I've done kind of the big debulking and the big controlling. And then the second layer is to do kind of that final cleanup, whatever remains, because then my gloves don't get as dirty that time around. Then when I'm handling clean fabrics, I'm down to my third layer of gloves. Because here's the thing. People say, well, just change your gloves in between each layer. Yeah, but then I have to take my gloves off entirely. My hands are probably sweaty. Then I have a hell of a time getting the gloves back on where they're actually fitting me properly, and it's a huge pain in the ass. So if I triple glove, I bypass that whole, like, oh, now I'm trying to put... And then I don't have to step away from the patient. I don't have to fumble while people are waiting on me. So that's one thing that I do. I do the triple glove. Ever seen the triple glove done before? No, I never have. That's that's <laughs> going to be something that I, a takeaway that I think that I'm going to be using too, because, like you said, it it saves time. It you know when you change your gloves, your hands are sweaty and it's hard to put on, and people are standing there waiting. And I can actually see that you know just peeling off a layer is much quicker and much easier. Here's so, the caveat. Here's the caveat. Sorry, I want to interrupt you. The the one thing that you do have to be careful of with that is some gloves, similar to the same reason why you don't want to wear multiple condoms, 
sometimes if you have latex or other materials, if you have too many, the friction can increase the risk of those breaking. So you just have to know if the gloves that you have are going to withstand that. If you have really flimsy, shitty gloves, maybe this isn't the best technique. So Very good. So now we've kind of covered uh, debulking quite a bit. And the next step after that is actually getting that skin squeaky clean because not only is it uh, aesthetically appealing, but it's good for them too. Like you said that, you know, having stool on somebody's skin is very caustic and over time it becomes red and irritated and broken down. So when it comes down to the, what the final sheen, I guess that were, uh, of getting that clean, I consider it not clean until the rag can go over the skin and the rag is still white. So one of the techniques that I have uh, been told of and that I use quite a bit when it comes to getting the final sheen on somebody, especially if they have skin where you keep wiping and wiping and wiping and the rag is still kind of a brownish yellow every time you wipe (laughs) is to use some shaving cream on the washcloth or you can even put it directly on the patient. But when you do that, what it does is it just takes that final, final, fine layer of stool off of their skin. And I guarantee after about two or three wipes, you're gonna, your rag is going to come off of their skin clean. And not only does it come clean, but it also cuts the smell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one that I haven't used before that I need to take away with me because um, I've, I, I feel like maybe I've heard people say this before, but I've never actually seen it done. So you're you're basically like, like you said, you're either squirting it right on their skin or like onto a rag, right? And then you're just using right. it. So then do you do a rinse once you... Right, right. You have to get the shaving cream off of the patient. So it's going to take a few, you know, clear rinses as it were to to get it off but once it's off that final rinse that you get that rag is going to come off squeaky clean huh. now the other thing that i have used uh but it's not available where i work anymore it used to be there we used to have johnson's baby shampoo in little bottles in yes. our, our stock room and that worked wonderful too because that had a little bit of a fragrance to it and it would cut the smell but uh, apparently, the any of the soaps that have fragrance in them have been taken away because supposedly they're no good for a patient's skin. Right. And also some, like we do um, chlorhexidine bathing on all of our patients so that we're reducing their their risk of infection and, and central line infections and whatnot. But some lotions, fragrance products, that sort of thing, if they're not approved by the hospital, they can actually counteract the effects of chlorhexidine. I didn't know this until I did a project with um, one of our nurse practice leaders um, at my institution. But yeah, so you want to be really careful about what products you're using. However, we're not using chlorhexidine on people's genitals and their backsides. And so as long as you're getting this all rinsed off, and you're not just leaving it on their skin, I bet that that does seem like it would be something that would work right. pretty well. Because our shaving cream is just your generic white, foamy, no fragrance, no menthol. So yeah, you got to know what's in it, but that's a great idea. Um, similar to how, you know, if we're using soap and water, we'll put a little mouthwash in there um, to kind of cut through that grime. Because sometimes it's true. You just, you wipe, you wipe, you wipe, 
it never what did i say last episode it's like wiping a magic marker right <laughs> that, exactly. I, that i think is a chris pratt quote from the from uh parks and recs but um but yeah it's true and then it gets frustrating because then you feel like you're there forever and especially if they have like you know i've had family members that like a spouse or whatever is helping me because you know we we like to include families if if they can safely do so um but then you know not only do you have you owe it to the patient to get them clean but then you've got this family member watching and so you can't just be like oh whatever it's good enough like you need to get that patient clean so you need to sometimes step it up and use some of these these other products um and i also want to say if you work in an institution that has like we a long time ago had the spray bottles where you literally it's like a pump spray and that's the peri spray the thing is if you're going to spray somebody with that, you got to warn them because nothing feels worse than being sprayed kind of suddenly in the rectum with cold liquid. Like that's that's not comfortable. So if you are using spray, spray it on the rag. The fluffs that we have, like I said earlier, they're not very absorbent. And so sometimes it's nice to wet those down a little bit because then they become a little softer and a little easier to work with. Um use warm water please don't don't shock your patients with ice cold wash rags be be a little bit merciful okay lots of stuff in the hospital is cold so let's warm up the things that we can exactly so so now we've talked about debulking we've talked about different techniques using for cleaning up after you're all done now we have to talk about that one ounce of prevention is worth many, many, many <laughs> minutes of cure, as it were. So what's what are some of the techniques that you use to try to contain the, the next event? Oh, I think the number one thing you can do is make sure, I, I wrote on my little note sheet, do you know where your chucks are? Um, <laughs> when you have any kind of protective sheeting underneath your patient, we call them chucks, whatever you call them at your facility, incontinence pads, drapes, whatever. Uh, make sure that it's in the right place because if you've boosted your patient a hundred times and that chucks is no longer underneath their butt, it's not going to help you. It doesn't do any good behind their shoulders. So make sure that you always have your chucks low enough that it's going to prevent anything from, you know, we talked about uh, running it running down the channel where if you have someone whose thighs are touching, which is most people, um, then if they, especially the, the, the women, if they pee, it kind of comes up and over the top and then runs down their leg. So sometimes you might even need an extra chucks. You might need to go to the foot of the bed with the chucks. Um, I know that we have done kind of a, a diamond technique where we use disposable chucks, patients that are incontinent or incontinent of large amounts we'll kind of put one of the we'll put one of the chucks normal you know square on the bed and then we'll put the other chucks um, on a diagonal so it's like diamond shaped so that I'm able to take a corner of the chucks and bring it up between their legs kind of you know these are for my patients that are maybe more immobile and incontinent bring it up kind of like a diaper because in my facility we try not to use actual briefs because those hold moisture closer to the skin 
um, as opposed to wicking them away. And so we try to use our super absorbent chucks because those have the most wicking power. Um, but yeah, if you kind of pull it up between their legs, kind of like a loincloth, then that's going to provide extra protection against that liquid or stool kind of like heading south into your clean bed sheet territory. So um, that's that's my most important placement uh issue is making sure i know where my chucks is and if you got to replace it you got to replace it it's not going to help you if it's not in the right spot that's my soapbox <laughs> exactly it's like the chucks doesn't do you any good or the the pad or whatever it is that you're using it doesn't do you any good when it's like you said up past the pelvis up towards the shoulders like you said when you place it place it low the top of the pad should be just above the pelvis. And, you know, if you have a patient that's larger, you might need to use a few extra chucks. I've seen patients before, you know, I, I worked on the neuro unit for a long time, so we would sometimes have patients that weren't aware of what they were doing and, you know, would make a mess or moved around a lot and were stooling frequently. Well, you don't want to come back to find that your patient has recontaminated everything so um we need to make sure that we're covering all the appropriate areas so if you know you have a patient that's at high risk of finger painting i've seen patients that have chucks across their whole bed because you know we we're doing constant cleanup um we've had patients that don't really realize what they're doing and so you might need to check that patient more often to make sure that if they've stooled that they're not kind of playing in it so to speak and that reminds me this is another tip that I didn't think of until this very moment if you do have a patient that has gotten their hands into it of course you wash their hands with soap and water um, use a washcloth if you know whatever you need to do what I've done before if it's in their nail beds or in their cuticles I've taken a little um, uh, like an emesis basin those little like kidney bean shaped ones that are really not good for much of anything they're great for soaking fingernails so you can put some warm soapy water in there maybe put a little mouthwash in there as long as they don't have any finger wounds um, and then just kind of soak their fingers for a minute and then take a soft toothbrush or a soft q-tip and just go around those nail beds and around the cuticles and get those get those hands clean um, no one of their right mind wants to have poopy hands so protect your patient's dignity and their cleanliness by making sure you're getting their fingers clean too if that because you know that's the reality of it I know that's gross and some people that maybe haven't had to deal with this before might be a little horrified at the thought but I've you know like I said I've had to wipe people's faces off because they didn't realize it was on their hand and then they touched their face so you really be compassionate clean them up well even if you're even if you're grossed out even if it seems kind of extreme make sure you're doing everything you can to get them nice and nice and shiny clean chucks like like i've said i've kind of gone on my soapboxes here but chucks placement is key um we also want to make sure that we're positioning our patient appropriately and so um two things i want to talk about here i want to talk about a technique that um on my unit, we call it the pillow taco. 
<laughs> and if I say to one of my nursing assistants that I've worked with a long time, like, hey, let's taco this guy, which I don't I don't say it like that in front of the patient, but I'll say like, hey, when we go in and position him, I want to do a taco. They usually know what I mean. So basically what I'll do is this. So sometimes I have patients that are very likely to, when you turn them, you know, you put, you tuck pillows under one side of them to get them off their, their tailbone, but they end up wiggling around and scooting back down or scooting off the pillows. Well, this can be a problem if your patient is stooling a lot because you know they end up and and I'm talking about patients that are mostly immobile maybe are not directable um, and then are incontinent on top of that so you want to make sure they're not scooting around scooting all over the bed um, getting a small mess maybe into a bigger mess and so what we'll do is we will essentially position them so that they have kind of a, a soft pillow or a turning wedge or whatever you use in your facility on both sides. Usually we just tuck a pillow under maybe the shoulder and the hip on one side of the bed. Well, what I do is I will turn them like normal, but then I will have someone help me place another pillow on the opposite side. So essentially what I'm doing is if you think about the draw sheet and the pillows underneath it, it's kind of making the draw sheet into a taco shape and they're kind of wedged in by these pillows so they're not restrained by them but it's harder for them to kind of wiggle off of the pillows thereby wiggling around in their incontinence um is this making any sense at all i don't know if this is going to be a visual yeah, I can, but... that is something that uh, i i think that's going to be a takeaway that i use in the future too another thing you if and if you really need to really contain if you need to take it a step further i've also done where you'll have someone help them help you lift their legs a bit so that you can put a pillow kind of behind their you know under their knee but so that you're not contaminating the pillow every time they stool you kind of make sure the chucks is between the pillow and their bottom and I kind of tuck it in there pretty good so that they're not as able to like scoot down as far in the bed because I've had patients that just they wiggle and squirm all over that bed you know and so um, I kind of then they're kind of tucked in on three sides but they're not restrained because that would be illegal to restrain a patient without a doctor's order and the appropriate methods um, as outlined by your hospital's policy <laughs> I gotta put that disclaimer on there but when you've kind of you've got the pillow taco on both sides of them and then you've kind of got one tucked up high underneath their legs which also elevates their their heels and their knees off the ground off the bed so you're protecting their you know their their pressure points but w the key is to make sure that the chucks is like over the top of the pillow so that you have a barrier and that also is going to stop it from running south towards their ankles because you've got one extra kind of uphill climb that the poop hopefully is not copious enough to to make it over the top of that so um yeah you kind of get them tucked in and then sometimes they also sleep better because then they're like all cozied up like a little baby in a bed so um I've seen that work, you know, kind of cont help contain it by making it a valley. You know, you've got like mountain range pillows on all sides. Um, I've used that many times. I don't know if that's applicable in all circumstances, but do do that's, what you will with that. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. So, so we've covered a lot of territory here. And what I'm hoping is that if you're still listening at this point, that there was something, some pearl along the way that will help you in your 
stool cleaning that will yield better results and save you time. I know that I've learned a few things that I'm going to take with me as I move forward in my poop cleaning journey because you know it's inevitable. Shit happens. Isn't that the the phrase? Shit happens? It Um, certainly does. And it will continue to happen especially as we see patients that are sicker in this country and they need more care. Um, and, And the moral of the story for me and my parting thought is that Always make sure that as we're doing these things, as much as we joke and we laugh, because we must, as caretakers, we must have some humor about it, um, we also want to protect our patient's dignity. So make sure that as you're doing these things that you are still, you're not laughing at your patient, you're reassuring them, you're protecting their privacy by you know, use it, closing the curtain, closing the door, asking family members to step out, you know, if the patient is not comfortable asking them, you know, or having the family at the bedside, protect their dignity. And with that goes uh, with cleaning up the room after uh, you've cleaned them up. So nobody wants to sleep smelling their own stool. So if there's a wastebasket by the bedside, please take that out. It is not beneath a nurse. It is protecting the cleanliness. Even even our uh, our great, great uh, mother of nursing, Florence, I almost said Florence Henderson, not Florence Henderson, as great as she was. You know what? I Florence think, Nightingale. <laughs> I, I think that there's a large nursing population out there that wouldn't even know who Florence Henderson is. I know, I know. Mrs. Brady, for all those that are not in the know. Um, But no, Florence Nightingale, she herself knew that it was important to keep a clean space. So empty that trash can. If you can't empty the trash can or if it's a brand new bag or whatever, throw a chucks over the top of the trash can to at least stifle the smell. Um, I think that no one wants to, to, to be in a room that smells like their own doo-doo. So protect dignity, protect privacy, every opportunity that you have. Three takeaways that I have from this show that you brought up that I have never thought of before was the first one is the, the hammock for Mr. Johnson and the big twins to keep <laughs> them out of the river of stool. The diamond technique with the chucks for, for containment purposes, that's, that's awesome. And I am probably going to use the taco technique the next time I have somebody that's at high risk for stooling and is squirming all over the place. So those three techniques are things that I am going to use in the future. I'm so glad. I, you know, I, I know that you've been a nurse for longer than I have. And I, I just want to illustrate to people that we can learn in all directions. People with all levels of experience have had all different, you know, you've seen all different things. And a lot of these techniques I picked up from nurses that I've worked with or other nursing assistants that I've worked with over the years. And so I, I'm glad you were able to pick something up new. I hope other people listening can do the same because I believe in the collective knowledge of nursing. We need to be like teaching each other the tricks to make each other's lives easier because goodness knows there is enough working against us to make things harder. So, you know, we got it. We got to save ourselves and our patients uh, every bit of inconvenience and discomfort as we possibly can. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you learned a little something today. I'm going to take the shaving cream technique because that's something that I haven't seen done, but I have 
often come across those patients where you it seems like no matter how many soap and water wash rags you use you're just not getting all of it off their skin so um, I like to keep a polished booty and I hope everyone listening will uh, walk away with uh, a little bit more um, encouragement you don't feel quite so lost walking into those poopy situations and maybe you can even up your game and uh, pass those techniques on to other people as well so I want to thank you again for joining me this has been awesome I hope you'll come back and we can talk about maybe something less shitty in the future (laughs) absolutely I always enjoy being on your podcast so yes maybe we could uh, take on a uh, (laughs) different topic as it were (laughs) excellent well I also you know sometimes people have dropped off by this point as we're saying our goodbyes but I just want to let people know that uh, the podcast now has a merch shop Uh, so I have a few things in the Etsy shop um, some stickers buttons so if you want to support Nursing Uncensored you can check out that shop at etsy.com slash shops slash nursing uncensored and that's all that's my plug so thank you for listening and happy nursing everyone here at nursing uncensored we may be well uncensored but we're not unfiltered. Protected health information has been changed and concealed to comply with HIPAA. The things we talk about are from years of experience with thousands of patients, things we've read, stories we've heard. If you think we're talking about you, we're not. Also, we're real nurses here to provide helpful and accurate information, but don't take anything we say as fact without doing your own research. Refer to your state's board of nursing, practice acts, and your institution's policies and procedures if you have questions about your practice. Lastly, our very strong opinions are ours alone and do not reflect those of our employers, educational, or professional institutions. Thanks for listening, and happy nursing, folks.